Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. I want to talk to you tonight um, in a Bible study format. Let me, let me read one verse of Scripture and we'll get into it tonight. In Psalm 119.11, uh, reading in the King James Version, the Bible says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. I want to talk to you tonight from a study format titled, Let's Work on Our Memory. Say memory. Pray with me. God, thank you for this time together. Lord, I thank you for this woman just wandering around, God. I pray that you would touch her with your love. Reveal your grace and your tender mercy to her, God. I pray that tonight you would be glorified at this church. God, I pray for our children, for our youth. God, I pray for us in here, Lord, that we would not only honor you by being here, Lord, but that we would glorify you during this time. Father, I pray that you'd speak to us and be our teacher now in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you have heard the story, new baby in church. That's awesome. Many of you have heard the story, thank you, Stacy. of when I first got saved, I met a girl in our church who had a list and she pulled it out one night after a Bible study, and she said, can you help me on my memorization list and quiz me? And she had the address written down. That's the chapter and the verse and the entire verse written out. And she had 100 verses. And I'm like, you're memorizing all these verses? She said, yeah, just pick one and see if. And, and so I just pulled out a couple random ones, and she quoted them verse for verse. And I was like, wow, that's, that's shockingly impressive. I was a brand-new Christian. I thought, that's a cool thing. But I was also competitive, um, and God hadn't worked all that out of me yet in 35 years. And so I thought, if this chick can memorize 100 verses, I can memorize 1,000. And so I went on a quest to memorize 1,000 verses. And it's easier than you would think it would be to do that. There's a lot more than 1,000 verses in the Bible, so it's not as difficult as it sounds. And so what I did is I wrote them down in a notebook, and I started doing to other people what she did to me, but I was doing it for a different reason. I think she was truly a humble, uh, decent, godly woman who just wanted to memorize God's word. I was proud, arrogant, and competitive, and I just wanted somebody to hold that stack of papers and, and call out any one of those verses so I could quote it word for word so they'd be like, wow, you know a thousand verses of Bible. Um, and God had to chastise me through that. And that's when I began to tell people, and I still tell people, it's way more important that you, that you live out a portion of one verse of Scripture than it is that you could quote 10,000 verses of Scripture. Because there's a lot of people walking around quoting Scripture that aren't living Scripture, and that's no good. Now, I saw that in big form when I was uh, vice president of a temporary staffing company downtown Jacksonville called Extra Man on the corner of Maine and Beaver behind a Shell gas station, and we used to put to work over 200 homeless people, and the majority of them were addicts. But when they found out that I was a bivocational pastor, they would uh, bring me their ordinations as pastors and bishops. And listen, we had some, I mean, <laughs> some really 
uh, impressive people, degrees, uh, masters of electricians, people that formerly own their own construction companies. You'd be surprised where you end up after four or five years of serious drug addiction and you're working daily work, daily pay, uh, and come in at 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning to get on the sign-up list to go out that day to get a check after we take out transportation and the lunch and the cigarettes we fronted you that was about $21. And most people spent that with the dope man in the parking lot and showed up there for 13, 14 hours a day and walked back to the mission without any money. That's a different story for a different time. But you'd be surprised how many people homeless right now that have advanced degrees, that have had serious stuff. I used to have people tell me all the time, they, I'd take my keys out of my pocket, and I heard so many people say, yeah, I used to have a wad of keys just like that, and now I'm free from all that, and I don't have to worry about all that. And it's, uh, please pray for people who are unemployed. Please, please pray for people who are underemployed. Please pray for people who are struggling with drug addiction because I have, I have seen it manifest in real life for people that I knew that went from here to here. And I've told you before that the government releases statistics all the time that prove consistently that the average American is less than 30 days away from complete homelessness. If the average American was to not have income come in for 30 days in a row, most people would be utterly uh, without. Um, but I saw so many people that could quote scripture, uh, people in jail, I've done a lot of jail ministry in my life. People, there are lots of jailhouse preachers. There are lots of drunk preachers living in the street, quote more scripture than you could imagine. I'm sure you saw that uh, in your career, Stacy, in law enforcement. Uh, but it's way more important to be able to live what the word says than it is to be able to quote what the word says. But I want us to look at our opening verse tonight and uh, try, try to glean from that. Put that first verse back on the screen for me. Uh, this is in the living translation the psalmist says i have hidden your word in my heart that i might not sin against you he makes a statement and then he gives the reason for the statement he he tells us what he's done and then he gives us the reason for what he's done he said i hid your word in my heart now that doesn't mean he took a audio or a video recording of what god said and performed open heart surgery and shoved scripture down into his chest. When he says, I have hidden your word in my heart, what's he talking about, church? He's memorized the words of God. See, we have a complete Bible right now. We have both an Old Testament and a New Testament from Genesis to Revelation. 66 books, 39 in the Old, 27 in the New, 1,189 chapters of Bible that we can read. But even as far back as thousands of years ago, they had the writings of the prophets and they had the writings of Moses. And the psalmist realized how important God's word was, so much so that he wanted to be able to memorize it. Some of you have heard the story that really stuck deep in my heart in the early 80s we had a missionary from China working with the underground Bible ministry taking Bibles illegally into China smuggling them in in briefcases and people were being incarcerated or, or in suitcases people were being incarcerated for this um, because they didn't want their people having the written word of God and if you read the Fox's book of martyrs or if you just google search about how we got Bibles in our hands, you'll find out that thousands and thousands of people have died to try to get this Bible printed and published and available to the masses. Well, 
we need to have a higher view of the Bible than most people have. The missionary came, and he told us that the people that he was ministering to in China, they didn't have Bibles like we have Bibles. Most of them didn't have access to a Bible inside a cover like we carry around, and they had pieces of paper. And what they would do, they would take the verses of Scripture that they had hidden in their heart, and they would write them down. And when they would meet a new Christian friend on the low, they would say, do you have your verses? And they would trade, and they would copy, let you copy mine, I'll copy yours. And that's how they built up the list of Scriptures that we have. And they loved those, and they cherished those, and they were valuable to them. And we've got so many Bibles in America that we typically just don't even pay attention to the favorite one that we like to carry. And I want us as a people to elevate our view of God's holy word. The psalmist said he hid it in his heart that he wouldn't sin against God. Our minds are like supercomputers. Experts in the mind say that you've never really forgotten anything. You just don't have the ability at that time to recall what's been put in. Every smell, every sound, every voice, everything that you've ever read, the brain locked away. And I was taking a class one time and they, uh, about memory and, they, and, and how to enhance your memory, and they talked about this filing away system and this recall system that we call memory. And they say it's in there, but it's in, think of a file cabinet with hundreds of thousands of files in it. You just got to be able to open the right drawer and pull out the right file to access that information. We need to put more word in us. Computers, you have to put in them what you want them to be able to do. You have, the information has to be there. People think Google is a genius because you can ask it anything, or Siri is a genius because you can ask it anything. Well, Google Voice or Siri can only tell you back what it's been programmed to tell you back. If you ask your phone what your name is, it'll tell you if you told it what it was when you set it up. If I ask your phone what my name is, it will not know because you probably did not program that in there. Well, our brains are much that same way. In computer language in the 80s, they used to talk about G-I-G-O, garbage in equals garbage out. If you just put a bunch of junk in your computer, all it's going to be able to give you back is junk. Well, our mind works the same way. Only what you've put into it can you pull out of it. A lot of people can pull out a lot of songs because we most of us spend a lot of time hearing a lot of music, especially in younger life when we were just living on music, and some people are still stuck in that frame. But I've heard so many people say, well, Pastor Scott, I just don't have a good memory. That's not true. Don't tell yourself that. That's a bad confession to make, and it's literally not true. God has not given you a faulty memory. You remember hundreds of thousands, millions of pieces of information, and you remember thousands of songs. If I told you to finish this phrase, and I took a phrase out of any song, looking for love in all the, you know that, you, because you've got a great memory, you have a functional memory, God gave you a memory that works, and it can pull out what you put in, well, when you get put in a situation where there's a decision to be made, when you get put in a situation where there is a test in front of you, when you get put in a situation where you could choose the right path or the wrong path, you need to have the right 
information already put into your supercomputer brain. And that's why memorizing scripture is so important. That's why reading scripture is so important. That's why listening to scripture is so important because you can only draw out of the well what's in the well. So my question to you tonight is if you were to try to draw out of your well, the missionary challenged us that night when he told the story about the papers that the people in China gave to each other. He said, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Go home, take out pencil and paper, pen and paper, and try to write down all the scriptures that you know. And that is shockingly embarrassing. You want to try that? Go ahead and try that tonight. Just go home and try to think. Okay, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God what? created the heavens and the earth. All right, we're off and running. So we've got one, and then work your way through. I've worked with hundreds of people on Bible study memorization, and one of the things that I started off a group of people I was working with one time was to memorize one verse out of every book in the Bible because that would make a dual accomplishment. Then not only would you have how many verses of Scripture memorized, but you'd know the orders of the Bible. Now, that's not as big a deal now as it used to be, because a lot of people now access the Bible through their technology. So you don't have to know when the preacher says, turn to Jeremiah 14, which part of this book to open to. You just type in on your technology, point and click, and it pulls it up. But we need to have something inside us so that when the time comes, we're able to pull that something out of us. We need to hide the word in our heart so that when we need God to speak to us, we don't have to sit down for three hours clearing our brain and meditating and trying to hear the voice of God. God, as you put scripture inside you, will just readily access that file for you. But even God, outside of the extreme miraculous, isn't going to give you a scripture that you've never read before. You want, to, you want God to recall a scripture to your mind. He's typically going to recall those that you have done what the psalmist did at those that you have hidden in your heart so that you won't make the wrong choices. Every day when I pray, I kneel down with my sons every night and pray with them when I put them to bed. And we pray every day that God would help them to make the right choices. Because your future is going to be determined by the choices you make today. You are sowing the seed right now for the harvest that you're going to reap in the future. You've got to do the things today that you can draw from down the road. If you want to have a fruit tree in your yard, at some point you're either going to have to buy a piece of land with a fruit tree, call it your yard, or you're going to have to plant a fruit tree in your yard. People want what they haven't planted. People want to receive what they haven't worked for, and that just is not the way to go about life. We need to do what God said to do so we can have what God says we can have. God says that his word can bring you peace. It can bring you comfort. It can bring you joy. It can bring you provision and protection. But if you don't know what it says, you can't access it, and you're not going to be able to flow in that. So what I did tonight is I just typed out some verses that I think are highly memorizable uh, throughout the body of Christ and verses that have been very important to me and verses that I committed to memorization early in my life, um, Psalm 119.11 being the premise. Why do we want to memorize Scripture? Why do we want to hide Scripture in our hearts? Well, one, so we won't sin against God. Two, so we can sit around and think about it. 
without having to pull out a Bible. So you can just sit there and meditate. The Bible says not only should we read it, but we should meditate on it day and night. And you got to have that tucked away in your mind to be able to meditate it. It's just like when I used to go to concerts. I used to go to a lot of concerts before I was saved. And invariably, whatever group I would go to hear, they would always get to a point in their concert when they would frustrate me and say, well, right now we want to sing some of our new stuff for you guys, and we want to go over some of the new songs that we've been working on. And I'm like, don't nobody want to hear that? We can't sing along with that. We don't know that. You can only say amen to what you know. And it's just the same way with musicians. Every musician that I've ever had, I'm like, well, you need to sing this. Well, most musicians I've had, you need to sing this, you need to sing that. And they're like, well, I want to do some new stuff. And I'm like, nobody knows the new stuff. We ain't in love with the new stuff. But it's the stuff that you know that you can recall to your brain. And you can't say amen to what you don't know. So you need to get some scripture in your mind. I'm going to just go through some of these things, and then I'm going to uh, leave a handout for anybody who wants one. Uh, And you can, I, I put 10. I thought, well, let me just pull up 10 verses of Scripture that anybody wants to memorize. Uh, 10 is a, is a good number to start with. Listen, there's no brownie points in heaven for how many verses of Scripture you can quote. I went on a, on a trek for a reward that I didn't find. Um, I, I, I wanted to build value and esteem by being able to tell people I could quote a lot of Bible. Well, that didn't do me any good until I started living what the Word says. So keep in mind... As we do, because you got to do what others did if you want to have what they had. David had great peace with God. David had great intimacy with God. David had great power and anointing. If you want that in your life, you're going to have to do what David did. And what David did was hide the word in his heart. So we want to be making sure that at some point somebody is honoring the word enough to be able to remember what it says. Not as important that you can quote it verbatim the way I went on my trek to do. But you need to be able to say it in a way that makes sense to you so that you make sure that you're living it. I remember the first verse of Scripture that Jacob learned. He quoted it in some play or something we were doing at church when he was a baby, uh, three years old, and John 3.16. The most written verse, the most quoted verse, the most talked about verse. uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This verse is held up at football stadiums around the world. Sporting events around the world. Concerts around the world. Listen, I do not like people who bash lost folk with Bible though. I can remember going to concerts when I was unsaved. And it was always, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the Jacksonville Coliseum in conjunction with Jet Set Enterprises, proud to bring you Kiss or Rush or whoever it was. And there was always this same lady standing out front. I mean, I don't know if she just targeted the kind of music I was listening to, but this lady, one of those hair to the floor, dresses to the floor, no makeup, you know, that's not a good look. Okay, let me just say that right off the bat. You know, I ain't mad about some makeup. Obviously, you know, if you scoop it on with a shovel, you might want to back it down a little bit. Uh, But I like what the one preacher said, even an old barn looks better with a fresh coat of paint. So keep that in your mind. But this weird-looking lady would be at every concert with one of her signs with some Bible verse on it 
with pictures of flames and the words written turn or burn. You're not going to reach anybody for Christ that way. And she looked miserable and bitter anyhow. And, you know, if you've really got something that you love and you call it salvation and a relationship with Christ, you should nag people about that. Um, but this verse is, is held up at stadiums all around the world, hopefully to share love. And honestly, if you want to share the heart of Christianity, this is a, a voice that speaks to the heart of God. This is a voice that speaks to the whole process of what God's plan is. He, he loved the world so much that he gave his son so that people wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. That's what we believe as believers, and, and that's a verse of Scripture that uh, I believe that you ought to be able to share with somebody. You never know when you might be put in a situation where you don't have a Bible to access or a phone to access to call the preacher and tell, you know, share something with somebody that is in their waning moments. I heard about when the hurricane hit the Gulf and Louisiana was devastated and they filled up the Superdome and they thought it would be for just a little while, but people ended up staying in there for days and weeks and filling the Superdome up with urine and poop and stink. And there were people huddling in corners all throughout the Superdome and they were singing songs to each other. And I love the testimony because it fits my personality. They weren't singing the latest billboard charts off contemporary Christian music. They were singing old hymns that were giving them strength, and they were quoting scriptures to each other. And you need to have something that you're able to pull up out of your mind that sounds like God to you. And John 3.16 is a great one. Another 3.16, lots of 3.16s in the Bible. I've taken that as a trek for people to pull out all the memorizable 316s in the Bible. And if you want to go on a 66-book hunt for 316, every book doesn't have a 316. Know that up front. But the ones that do uh, certainly would be a good place to memorize. 2 Timothy 316 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That's how I memorize that verse in the King James. I put it in a simpler uh, version for us in today's language, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. This tells us why so many people hate the Bible and hate Christians and don't want to be a part of a church that believes in the word and elevates the word and exalts the word because we believe that all scripture from Genesis to Revelation is inspired by God, not just something that man wrote down, not just something that God picked 39 different men to write down, but something that God inspired people to write down and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Well, the average American doesn't want to hear what's wrong with them. People come to counseling, and counselors will tell you this. this. This is known throughout the counseling industry from top to bottom. People come to counseling not to get answers, but to get you to co-sign on their thoughts. They don't want help. They want agreement. They don't want you to tell them what they're doing wrong and how to fix it. They want you to agree with them that they're right and whoever they're mad at is wrong. Well, that's not what the scripture says. It says it's useful to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. So you got to presuppose that you're deficient. 
you got to presuppose if this verse is right that there's something wrong with you. And that's not what this world is teaching. That's not what this I am somebody world is teaching. That's not what this prop yourself up and realize that you're great, mighty, and powerful. I told you all about Seth and me walking through Walmart and stopping in the book section and seeing the America's largest pastor's new book out. And it said, the power of I am. And I thought, oh, check Joel out. He might be onto something right here. I like that title uh, because when Moses said, who shall I tell them sent me? What is your name? God said, I am. And that is, that is a, a consistent theme throughout the Bible. And many times when Jesus would say, I am, the religious leaders of the day would shudder and rip their clothes and call it blasphemy because only God is I am. And so I thought, okay, well, he's going to talk about there being power in God. And so I flipped through the, the back jacket of the book. And it says, when you realize how powerful you are, you'll be able to look in a mirror and say, I am awesome. I am great. I am powerful. And I asked my 12-year-old about that. I said, who should we be looking in a mirror saying is great, awesome, and powerful? And he said, God. And I said, well, you must go to a good church. <laughs> Don't ever go to that church in Houston. The end of the verse says it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. See, this is really what people need. It's not what everybody wants, but it's what we need. We need to find out where we're wrong, and we need someone to teach us how to be right. Because if you're saved, you want to stop doing wrong and start doing right. Can't do that without the Word. Because the Word is what corrects us when we're wrong. And teaches us to do what is right. You know, the Bible says no chastisement in this current time seems awesome. But it seems hard to get chastisement right now, but in the long run, it's good for us. It's like these, these moms are like, I just can't spank her. It just, it just breaks my heart to spank her because I, I, she might get mad at me. You know, I'm, she's my best friend. <laughs> you, got it, you, you got it all wrong already. God did not give you a child to be your best friend. They're not emotionally capable. If your child is emotionally capable to be your best friend, you're retarded. You're older than them. You should be wiser than them. You should be more experienced than them. You should have more going on than them. You should be their parent, their example, their role model. You should be offering something to them that they aspire to, not commonality. Okay? And so people think, well, I don't want to spank her. I want her to love me and be my friend. No, no. That, that chastisement is a good thing. It's a good thing because it creates the proper bond. You parents that ain't beating y'all's children, y'all need to come see me. That's why your children run around and act crazy. That's why everybody, everybody's wondering, why don't they get their children in a headlock? Oh, I don't want to get them in a headlock. I guarantee you this. You get to the point where all you got to do is just look at them and they don't breathe loud for the next four hours, you know you did your job. I don't want them to be scared of me. Okay. okay. Hey, there's parents getting beat up by their children right now because they didn't instill proper value. But the moral of the story is not about beating your children. The moral of the story is 
The Bible corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. If you want to do what's right, you need to find out what the Word says is right. Because the Scripture says that there's a group of people who do what's right in their own eyes. And the Bible says for those people, everything they do seems right in their own eyes. The Bible says there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is death. Okay? So we got we to gotta say what God says about stuff. And the only way to know what God says about stuff is by reading his word. All right? There's another scripture. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I memorized it out of the old version. Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Well, that don't sound warm and fuzzy, but it sounds like great preparation. You know, if I'm going outside and there's a gang full of people out there waiting to jump on me, if you tell me that, that may not make me feel warm and fuzzy, but it's going to help me get prepared and grab a couple brothers to walk out there with me. You understand what I'm saying? It's not about does it hit you warm and fuzzy. It's about does it benefit you? Well, this verse benefits me greatly because I'm never sitting around scratching my head, crying on somebody's couch saying, I just don't know why. I just don't understand it. I don't know why. They're mean. They're mad. They don't. No. The Bible's already declared to me plainly that if it is my conviction to live godly, there is going to be some persecution along the way. Not to hurt me, not to harm me, but to grow me. You can't be on the mountaintop all the time. And if you study agriculture, you will find out nothing grows on the mountain. Things just exist. You, you go up on a mountain, it's barren. The growth happens down in the valley. Your biggest season of growing as a person, as a Christian, as the man and woman God wants you to be, is going to be in the hard times. And you need to understand, many, in, in many cases, your hard times are a reflection of your desire, wants to live godly. doesn't say you have to live godly. It says if you want to live godly, there's going to be some persecution along the way. Why? Because the enemy doesn't want you to live godly. So he's going to throw some stuff at you to try to set you off, to try to get you off your, your game. And I just tell the devil, you... You can kill everybody I know. You can turn the whole world against me. You can put all the knives in my back you want to. I'm never going to stop reading my Bible. I'm never going to stop praying. I'm never going to stop loving God. He brought me too far to quit now. So I just tell the devil, you may as well bother somebody else because quitting ain't not an option for me. I already burned up my boats. And I don't remember who it was. Some, some invading general was going to take an island, and it was going to be difficult, and he knew everybody was going to die, and he didn't want them, you know, being cowards and running back to safety. So to prove that they were in it to win it, when they got there, they burned up all the boats. And they said, now we can't leave, and we're going to have to win. And I've already burned all my boats. There's nothing for me to go back to. I've already decided that I want to live godly. That's what I want to do. Now you catch me on the wrong day, I'll prove to you that I'm human, just like you are. And we're all still in our process, but if you want to live godly, you're going to suffer some persecution. I wish that verse was more taught in the church. I wish more Christians memorized that, at least understood the concept that maybe this hardship is coming on me because I made up my mind I want to be who God wants me to be. 
You say, well, pastor, that doesn't motivate me. It motivates me because I'm about competition and winning. And I, I don't want to win cheap. I really don't. That's why this generation of millennials bothers me. This entitled generation, I don't want a free cell phone. I don't want a free college education. I paid for mine. You, do you realize that you, you get more out of something when you pay for it? I've had psychologists tell me, oh, you're the guy they come to before they come to me. And I'm like, yeah, because you charge and I'm free. And psychologists will tell you free counseling does less for you than paid counseling. Why? Because when you start paying for something, when you have a price uh, enacted, taken from you, then you're going to get more out of it. You enjoy what you work for better than what's handed to you. This new generation does not understand that. Um, but it's the truth nonetheless. And I realized from the beginning of my Christian walk that even just the desire to live godly is going to bring about some opposition. It's going to bring about some roadblock. It's going to bring about some persecution. It's going to bring about some suffering. That doesn't, that's not warm and fuzzy, but it is good preparation. It's like a defensive coordinator letting his defense know, hey, look, we are going up against the best quarterback in the league. He is shredding people. We're going up against the best wide receivers in the league. They got the three fastest players in the NFL on their team. Why are you not motivating me, coach, to make me feel like we're going to win this game? No, that's good preparation to let you know what you are up against. Psalm 138, verse 2 says, I will worship toward the holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Now, this last portion of Scripture is why this verse jumps out at me. God has magnified his word above his name. Now, most people in this room would be highly turned off if one of your children or one of your friends walked up to you and just started saying, GD this and GD that. You'd be like, you blaspheming God's name. You shouldn't do that. Well, the God whose name you're worried about people blaspheming said that he's exalted, he's magnified, he's elevated his word above his name. Does it, it would bother you if your Christian said, well, GD, or if your children said, well, GD, mom, you'd be freaked out. But does it bother you at all that they never pick up God's word and read it? Does it bother you at all that you don't pick up God's word and read it? God said his word has been lifted above his name. We worry so much about people saying stuff out of their mouth about God's name, but we're content to let the world just disregard his word altogether. The first part of the verse, Psalmist says, I will worship toward the holy temple. That's a declaration. That's a determination. He said, and praise thy name. And then he tells why. For thy loving kindness and for thy truth. You realize if you only praise God because life's going good, your praise will come to an end? If you only go to church because you think it's going to help you, your church attendance will come to an end. If you only worship God because you like the way life's going, your, your worship will come to an end. God's word tells us that the reason to worship him and the reason to praise him is for his loving kindness and for his truth. See, his loving kindness is not going to change no matter how your day is going, no matter what people are doing to you or how people are treating you. And his truth is never going to change. I've said it many times, and it's such a joy to me that God led me into a profession 
that my continuing education continues inside the same book. Because I know plumbers who have had to learn new ways of plumbing. I, I, I know nurses who have had to learn new ways of nursing. Law enforcement people had to learn new techniques in law enforcement, new ways to deal with people. I only got one book. I don't have to get another book to learn. I just got to keep learning this one book, and I'm thankful for that. My continuing education is nothing that changes. It's just growing inside the same book. And God's word will never change, and that's such a joy to me. And that's so awesome to me because we live in a changing society. We live in a changing world. We live in the midst of a two-faced world of hypocrites. But God's always the same. And I love that. I love that. It's easy for me to worship a God who never changes. It's easy for me to worship a God for his loving kindness and for his truth because it's eternal. But what I really want you to understand from this verse of Scripture is that the God that we talk about, magnifies his word above all of his name whatever it is you want to call God he says get in my word my word is above that Jesus said heaven and earth heaven the place where God lives heaven and earth will pass away but my word will endure forever there is something about see we sing Jesus Jesus There's something about that name, and there is something about that name. And people are okay with you talking about God and spirituality, but if you bring up Jesus Christ, now you made an enemy. People are okay with you talking about transcendental meditation, but if you bring up praying to a living God who appeared in the flesh as this man named Jesus, then you got an enemy on your hand. God says his word is above all that. So, yeah, there's power. Power, wonder-working power in the blood. And there's something about that name. But if you really want to get in touch with the power of God, you got to get into the Word. Because that's what's going to keep you. Late in the midnight hour, He's going to work in your favor. He's going to turn it around. Listen, that, that all sounds good on a song. But if you're not looking at some Bible, meditating on some Bible, thinking about what God has said in His perfect Word, then... That's just a pipe dream for you. You got to have some substance in what God says is substantial. And what God says is substantial is his word. The first two verses of scripture I ever saw written down. When we were young in elementary school, uh, Dina and I, I went, well, she was a year ahead of me. But I went to kindergarten, first and second grade in England, and my parents got divorced. We moved back to America. We lived in Virginia for a short time with some relatives, and then we got our own place. And uh, we were going to a church. Uh, Our mom was always serious about sending us, never took us, didn't go with us um, until later in life after we both got saved and then she got saved. But we were going to a church, riding the church bus, and... When I walked out and did what the preacher said, say these words, I said those words, got baptized, they gave me a little red gift Bible. And it's the Bible that I use every July around the anniversary of my salvation date. I I bring that Bible out. And in that Bible, in the front where they dedicated it, who they were and who they were giving it to, and put my name in it, 
They wrote down Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And this, these are two verses of Scripture that are not only easy to memorize, but are so substantial for leaning on in so many situations that I think these would be two good verses for you to have on any list that you wanted to have. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Incredible comfort will surround you if you will meditate on those verses. Incredible. The peace of God will overflow you. People want God to zap them with the Holy Ghost. People want God to zap them with the anointing. Listen, if you get alone and you just start thinking about these verses, God's going to put some power in you. Trust in the Lord, verse 5, with all your heart. Semicolon. Paul's on the punctuation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I tell you what, if I was going to hope my kids would remember any portion of Scripture, that's, that's good right there. If, if I could build a legacy in my children, that phrase right there, trust in the Lord with all your heart, is a great legacy for you to build in your life and in the life of those who come behind you. Do you trust in the Lord with all your heart? It goes on to say, and lean not to your own understanding. Now, I've talked about that a lot in this ministry. Things you can't figure out, you have to faith out. You can't always lean on logic. You can't always lean on rational thinking. You got to lean on the Lord. You got to trust in him. It's, verse 6 says, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. I talked to you all a lot about the principle of inference. Those things that aren't said are inferred. Well, Thinking about the biblical principle of inference, when he says, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Well, if you're not acknowledging him in every aspect of your life, guess what he's not doing? And this is why some people never feel the leading of the Lord. This is why some people never feel, hear the voice of the Lord. This is why some people never feel in touch and close to the Lord, because they are not acknowledging him in all their ways. They acknowledge him on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night maybe. They acknowledge him from time to time. They, they consult him from time to time. But they're not acknowledging him in all their ways. And here's what I want you guys to understand. Half-hearted Christianity is no Christianity. Half-hearted commitment to God is zero commitment to God. 99% committed to God will get you 100% in hell. If you think you're 90% saved, that 10% is going to be your undoing. God is looking for wholehearted devotion. And he said, in all your ways, acknowledge him. If you want to feel God close to you, put him in every area of your life, in your job, in your home, in the music you listen to, in the things you read, in the, in, in, in the way you spend your time. And you will feel such direction from God. It would be incredible. Next verse, John 14, 6, the, a verse that strikes at the heart of knowing God. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is what makes Christianity different than every other religion in the world because we do not believe that there are two paths you can go by, but in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. Anybody know what song that is? Y'all don't want to admit it. 
Y'all have no idea. That's stairway to heaven. I don't recommend it because it's written by devil worshipers. But many people have this concept that there are many roads that you can be on and still end up in the same place, in a good place. That's not true. Jesus said, nobody can come to the Father except through me. Well, what about Muslims? Do they come through Jesus? No. Then they can't get to God. What about Orthodox Jews? Do they come through Jesus? No. Then they can't get to God. The only way to get to God is to come through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, not a way. The Bible is a perfect book, and we need to pay attention to the words. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way to God, the truth about God, and he lived the life that God wants us to live. Everything you need to know about God, and the only way you can know anything about God is through Jesus Christ. Another verse. I got to hurry up. If 1 John 1, 9. This is the best news I can give anybody. Lost or saved. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's so much good news in that verse, whether you're lost, whether you're saved, whether you're close to God or far from God. If we confess our sins, he, big H, capital H, God's the one who's faithful, not us. God's the one who's just, not us. God can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. We don't have to be faithful. We don't have to be just. We don't have to be perfect to get to God. But we do have to confess our sins and believe that he is God. And when we do that, the verse says he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. I believe that's one of the reasons new Christians are so happy. Because they feel clean for the first time ever. Totally. No guilt, no stain, no shame. Then, then we grow and we realize how much we've let God down and we self-condemn and others condemn us. And then we start feeling bad and not realizing that 1 John 1, 9 is still there for us. You are only one prayer away from being perfectly right with God. No matter where you are in your life, you are one prayer away from being perfectly right with God. If you confess your sins, he will cleanse you from all the dirt and stain and shame and guilt of unrighteousness. Last verse, a verse we've talked about as many as any verse in this church. Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. That's just such great practical advice. Don't worry about stuff. Just pray about it. How, how do you pray? You tell God what you need and you thank him for all he's done. Every day you should spend some time telling God what you need. And every day you should spend some time thanking God for what he's done. You don't have to be some deep religious big word praying person. Thank you for putting the sun in the sky. Thank you for putting stars in the sky. Thank you for giving us mountains and an ocean to look at. Thank you for the rain. Thank you for the clouds. Thank you for the beauty and creation. Every day you should tell God thank you for what he's done. These are ten verses of Scripture. You don't have to memorize ten verses of Scripture in your lifetime to go to heaven. But I promise you, as you hide God's word in your heart, you'll sin less. I don't believe in sinless perfection. There's a group of people out there calling themselves Christians that believe in sinless perfection, that believe that you get to the place one day where you no longer are in sin and you just live this perfect life of kumbaya and 
you know, oneness, and there's no truth to that. We're never going to be sinless, but I do believe we can sin less. And that's my desire. It's my desire to sin less. It's my desire to do more of the right stuff and less of the wrong stuff. And if you will incorporate these simple truths into your life, you will find your life heading in the direction that God put you on this planet for. You don't have to become a pastor. See, the biggest mistake people make when they fall in love with God is they think God's calling them to some type of pulpit or church occupation. God wants Christians that love him in every aspect of society. And there are people that do way more effective ministry, plumbing, construction, school teacher, janitor, whatever the profession might be. They do way more ministry than the average pastor does because they share Christ with the people they work with. They share Christ with the people they meet in their travels. And that's ministry. God's not calling everybody to have an occupation under the roof of an organizational church. But God is calling everybody to love him. And it's really hard to love him without knowing anything about his word. If you look at somebody that loved mom or dad and they start telling a story after mom or dad passed. I can remember one time mom said, and they have sparkle in their eye because they're remembering something that's precious to them. They're remembering something that, that's in them. See, death can take someone from you, but it can't take the memory of that person from you. And if you have experience with that person, then you have things you can hold on to. I remember when I hugged her. I remember when she told me this. I remember when we went here. Those things are precious, and they're awesome. And when you can sit alone somewhere and remember the things that God has said in his word, you will find strength. I remember what my heavenly father said to me. I remember what Jesus said when he was on this earth. There's a lot of great people with great quotes. I, I, I probably spend, I don't know, many days, way more than an hour just reading quotes. And hey, you can just Google inspirational quotes and you, you can find a lot of really good stuff. And you can find a lot of really good stuff that didn't come from God. You can find there's a lot of brilliant people out there. Man, you, Teddy Roosevelt's got some of the greatest quotes you'll ever read in your life. The Dalai Lama's got some of the greatest quotes you'll ever read in your life. But only one person's words are designed to give you power and give you life. And those are the words of God. And we live in a country that allows us to have a Bible. Oh, I had somebody wants us to get them a Bible. We need to, we need to pick up a Bible. And by we, I mean you. Gift Bibles or decent Bibles? I mean, gift Bibles decent. I carried it to church for a long time. I still got the first gift Bible I was ever given. Is it a gift, little gift Bible? Ken? In food and clothing, what kind of Bibles are they? Little small gift Bibles? Yeah. We'll talk about it tomorrow in our meeting. 
God elevates his word above his name. Value his word. Put your eyes on it. Try to memorize something God said. There is value in remembering what important people have told you. And I want to be able to remember what God has told me. We're living in a really weird time as a country. Our country could totally collapse, shut down. America could turn into something totally different than the country that we've all known and lived in. Cease to exist as we know it. Some weird religion could be instituted. But I'm going to hold on to Christ and his words. Now They come take my Bibles if they can find them all. But they can't take from me what's on the inside of me. And if I, if I ever end up in China, or if I ever end up in America where the Bible is outlawed, and listen, they're already putting pastors in jail in Canada for uh, saying anything negative about homosexuality. And Hillary said on the campaign trail that one of the first things she would do was to make any pulpit speech against homosexuality a hate crime. So thank God that I can still tell the truth and not be convicted of a hate crime. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not mad at homosexuals. I just don't think that that's the life God intended us to live. If we ever end up in a country, because our country could get really weird, really fast. But if it ever ended up like some of these third world countries, if you look on that persecuted map back there, if we ever ended up in some of those countries where they kill people for being Christians, hook me up. I'll be able to fill your page up. But I hope you'll have some verses that you can fill my page up with too. Because we need to hide this word in our hearts. Pray with me. God, thank you for giving us your word. Please help us, Lord, to respect your word and to honor your word, to value it, and to magnify it. God, I pray that you would help us to make good choices with our life. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us to be and do all that you've called us to be and do. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your truth. Help us to be people of this book. Help us to be praying people. Help us to be kind and loving. Help us, God, to see people and love them without judging them. Help us to see people and care about them as you care about us. And you care about everyone. God, we thank you for the soon approaching celebration of your birth. And I pray, God, that we would make Christmas about you more than anything else. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast and visit us on the web at AOCFnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to AOCFnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people.